welcome to the Project Tempest podcast, where we have conversations about creativity and creative journeys. Um, my name's CJ. We're very lucky that I guess this episode is Simon Pullman, who's a New York-based lawyer and advisor who focuses on TV, film, and interactive. This includes influencers, esports, all sorts of stuff. As someone right in the thick of a fast-evolving landscape, Simon thinks and writes a great deal about entertainment and, and, and digital content overall, really the present and future of how creators connect with audiences worldwide. Simon, mate, great to have you on. Uh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm absolutely uh, thrilled to be here. Thank nice. you for asking me on. Now, we've bonded very quickly because um, it's not apparent on the audio, but right behind you is a wonderful shelf full of my childhood memories, including Transformers and various other things. This, this is highly encouraging, sir. Yeah, maybe it's for the best that it's uh, that it's not on the uh, not on the the audio. But yeah, the, the, I mean the the thing about it is, and yes, I mean I have a Yoda, I have some Thundercats, I have some Master of the Universe, and a good a good number of of, of Transformers. Um, yeah, I mean I've been stuck in the basement for about fifteen <laughs> months, and I've just accumulated uh, stuff, and it's you know it's it, 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 it's it's great, but I've sort of reached a point certainly where. Uh, it has to. It has to stop. Um, I, I, I think, but no, it's it's been interesting because I've been on a lot of calls with with clients and with agents and 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 people, and sometimes you know I talk to a lot of the people you know over again. And, and look, in my in my line of work, a lot of what we do is on the phone, uh, but that's been replaced by Zoom. So I've been sort of seeing people that I wouldn't necessarily see. I've been talking to them, and they say, Simon, has your collection expanded <laughs> and i usually just make an excuse and say oh no i've just moved some things about uh but secretly there's like a pile of boxes by my feet so you know uh, that's awesome are you at the point yet where basically for anything else to go up something has to come off the shelf are, are you at that decision point yet or is or is there still room to expand Oh my goodness me! I mean, I, I think we could have a whole discussion about sort of different types of of, uh, of collectors and sort of how they curate. I, I you know, no is the answer probably, but you know, I think there's always a decision to be made between just jamming as much on a shelf as possible and sort of you know doing something that's a little bit more uh, more tasteful. But I, I think I am starting to get towards uh, you know the, the end of of what I can reasonably accommodate with that said, you know, I still get an email every day about something or another. I tell you, one of the, I, it's been, it's been a very difficult time over the course of the pandemic, but one of the things I am proud of is that I resisted buying the $500 thunder tank. That's about, that's, that's about two foot long. Uh, that, that was actually the line. I was just like, there's, there's just nowhere I can, I can, I can put this. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, congratulations. You've very firmly established that I'm a huge nerd in the first about <laughs> four minutes of this podcast. So so, so here we go. I'm supposed to be, you know, I should come across as very authoritative, you know, because I'm a trusted advisor and everything. But yes, I think I think most people know I'm also, uh, I, I also practice what I preach. Absolutely. I, 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 I most strongly trust anyone who has the Constructicons about two feet behind his right shoulder. That, it, that's that's my gold standard. That, because that's actually one of the qualifications for the New York bar exam. Uh, you, don't, <laughs> you don't actually have to take the exam if you have the Constructicons. They just let you in. So, oh, that's perfect. Um, that is, that's a perfect lead into the start of our discussion as well. One thing we usually do on the show is we, we talk a little bit about essentially origin stories, early creative experiences that really kind of spark something in you. And we were talking basically earlier and 
some really interesting things that when you were young, I think growing up in Britain, that, that might have really lit a fire in you around these type of things? Yeah, I mean, I, look, as I was um, growing up, I, I always consumed a, a huge amount of, of, of sort of media um, in, in, in general. And, uh, you know, I was always fascinated by things about, you know, why certain things appeared at a certain time and why we got this TV show then and, you know, why the, the credits were in a, were in a particular, um, uh, you know, sort of order. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, I mean, I, I can't remember what, what did I say in my, in my, in my thing on the notes on this about what I was going to talk about because I, I've, it's completely slipped my, uh, oh, I'm, I'm just looking at this now. I'm absolutely fascinated because you were talking about your early reaction to some of the movies that came out around video games, especially the Mario oh, Brothers movie in a Street yeah, Fighter movie. That's what I was going to say because I was going to be somewhat <laughs> topical and lead this discussion in a in a in a fruitful direction. So yeah, I mean, I just it's so interesting because I you know I I remember vividly watching both of those those films, you know, Super Mario Brothers and uh and street fighter and having you know i remember when 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 especially when street fighter 2 came out that game was ubiquitous right on super nintendo and it was only on that platform at first and then eventually got um i think mega drive got the champion edition and then you know and then uh nintendo up one up them again with the uh with super street fighter with street fighter 2 turbo and, and it was ubiquitous and then so there was this excitement about seeing that that movie and um, and obviously, it came off um, quite a, a strange experience, um, insofar as, as sort of the characters given prominence and the great liberties taken with the backstory of the game and everything else. I don't think it was what anybody really wanted or expected. And then, as for Super Mario Brothers, I mean, there's, I think there's a fascinating oral history uh, somewhere on the internet, you know, about about that movie. But it really bears almost no resemblance at all to the to, to to the games in terms of tone in terms of plot um or anything else so uh, yeah i mean very very sort of very strange and it, it's one of the things i'm sort of most interested in is is how gaming has 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 evolved and sort of matured as, as a credible form of media and how it's starting to express itself in in, in more credible ways you know, in, in the form of film and, and, and television and so forth. And I think part of that is, you know, I, look, I, I can't speak to the intentions of the people who made those um, those those movies. Um, I think always, you know, it both had to deal with parent companies in Japan and so forth. I'm sure it's very, very difficult. But, um, but I, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily at that time, you know, the mid-90s, um, gaming was seen as something that was like a like a, a, yeah. a, a credible form of art and i think now it is a little bit more and i think that there's a generation of executives now uh, in hollywood who kind of get this um which is why we're slowly starting to see sort of better um uh better adaptations and and to the more interesting things things happening but i mean just my goodness me uh two huge cinematic disappointments there <laughs> it's really interesting to say i i remember this i i think we're a few years apart but i i was growing up in new zealand and, and i had extremely clear memories of these huge movies coming i i had played mario brothers to death i'd played street fighter to death as you're saying there was this whole ritual um for for a huge amount of my childhood 
any place that you went to play arcade games, Street Fighter and then Street Fighter 2 was probably the focus. You had kids lined up, you have your little 20 cent coin on, on the thing and oh, you had a challenge. It was, it was just the thing. They could buy enough machines, as I, yeah. as I understand yeah. it. For, for Street Fighter 2, it's incredible. As it was it was it was such a thing and then to hear that they were beginning to turn to movies and at the time you're right there was there was very much to me at least there was this this impression that the the absolute height of whatever you were doing was to get it turned into a movie everything else was kind of the junior leagues you were oh oh you were doing games that's great but now we're going to make a movie mm-hmm. and my, my 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 strong impression is that a lot of properties at the time comics included there would kind of be this handoff process where the original creators one way or another would kind of hand things up to the movie people who were the real creatives and they were going to take your thing and make it just wonderful and through various strange machinations both the mario brothers movie and the street fighter movie through that process just ended up being quite perverse and even as like a 10 year old and going and seeing this i was like i don't know if i like this but this is not what i thought i was getting into yeah. it was a very I, strong I, memory I, I i like that 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 term and that characterization i mean the thing about making a movie is extraordinarily difficult uh, you know because it requires a, a you know, massive number of, of sort of stakeholders and people having a say and then you know an actor who's who might have particular considerations or sometimes you know a role has to be characterized in a certain way in order to get a certain actor to to sign sign on so it's difficult sort of by default but but yes, I mean I think that's an accurate characterization, and it's not just gaming; it's pretty much all adaptation historically. I would say up until about five or ten years ago, it was this notion of we're going to acquire the rights. You you know the creator, the rights holder will have no sense of you know approval or ownership or you know or input really. Um, uh, and yeah yeah we'll we'll take it from here. Don't worry about it, kiddo. We, we we've got it now. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, that, that games in particular, I mean, you could say, you know, uh, toys, action figures, similar, um, yeah, they're seen as like a brand as an, as you know, the, the, like in Hollywood, they talk about this IP. Um, but you know, the thing about it is a lot of these things, especially, especially gaming now have really richly developed worlds and, and, and stories and, and more to the point, they have extremely devout and loyal fans yeah and you know and and you i don't think it's possible to get away with with doing something that doesn't have some level of of sort of authenticity and and reverence to the source material i mean what would be the equivalent today i'm just trying to think like what's a huge game series and what's the what what could they do that would just be the equivalent of what they did to super mario brothers um yeah i don't know gta and they make it into like a romantic comedy or something <laughs> i don't know it i mean it was that much of a it was that much of a strange uh a strange strange departure like a strange weird cyberpunk super mario for those who are lucky enough to have never seen the mario brothers movie um it stars bob hoskins who was also in um who framed roger rabbit and was a very famous actor at the time and it absolutely just takes the weirdest left turn from what you might think a Super Mario Brothers movie might be. It was just perverse. Um, it's a really interesting thing you say, and I think we might come back to this later, this idea that um, with the benefit of hindsight, for a long time, I think people have probably underestimated the role of love and genuine affection in a lot of these franchises, brands, IPs, as you say. 
and that one of the things that's being argued now by various people is that you really, really shouldn't underestimate the the hold and the connection that people have, especially with the kinds of experiences that they participate in, which to me is gaming, which is if you grew up as we did and you're playing games, um, completely aside from the mechanics or the outward presentation of what that game is, you've lived in that world one way or another. And that's a deep, deep bond. I, I'm actually with an initial... Because again, I think we grew up on literally opposite ends of the world, but we may have had some somewhat similar childhoods. What what was the experience for you as as kind of early gaming, early growing up? Um, what was all that like? Oh gosh, I mean, I like I remember the the uh, first getting into into gaming um, it was when my parents brought home an Atari ST with with i think was what was something called the st power pack at the time which was about 40 different games on on floppy disks um and very very much of an era you know and and, and also frankly i think probably in europe more you know we had the the atari st and the amiga which followed sort of the commodore 64 and and, and so forth so that was kind of what what kind of got me um uh, into it um in terms of sort of you know the experience i mean i it's interesting because i think gaming is is sort of multi-faceted and, and has kind of gone into into tiers more i mean if you look historically you know you look at things like you know um zelda for for example right There's something like that where you're you're in this world you're, you're on a largely sort of single player um adventure and that tradition sort of follows through and then you know you've got things like um, like you know Skyrim um, and its many sort of uh, uh, re-releases and and those sort of you know sort of things and then and then I think back to, to something which was like an incredibly um, uh, sort of I'll never forget uh, the moment of getting Goldeneye oh, 64 uh, when I was I think I must have been about I don't know 15 or something and I remember getting it um, on the on the Nintendo 64 and sort of starting to play through a little bit and for one reason or another my, my I remember my friend being coming round and just his like his jaw dropping um, and I remember him saying you know these graphics are basically like real life yeah. um, and it had a great campaign and which was really awesome but obviously the multiplayer generationally for for us was kind of you know that was was huge and a, and a huge social thing and I think that that was kind of in a way the precursor to what we now see with 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 call of duty and with fortnite and with other things of gaming as kind of a, a a social or a competitive thing or being in that kind of experience and you know it's not um it is it, now as an adult it's not my preference partly because i'm i'm you know very incompetent uh, when it comes to anything that's skill uh based you know i, I certainly prefer narrative based based uh games but um but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, these kind of things and, and, you know, I think what you're talking about a little bit with love and, 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 and sort of it, it's creation of culture, like a culture and a vernacular around something. And so when you are, you know, a, you know, a teenager, for example, Goldeneye would be an example, um, maybe something like Metal Gear Solid or when Res the original Resident Evil came out or any of these games, GTA, um, it's almost like a sort of a it, it's the start of that feeling of like gaming being a water cooler uh, sure. you know sort of thing and that's the thing that you kind of bond with and i think it's i think it's massively 
sort of um, accelerated and increased for um, you know for younger generations and it's it's now you know especially through this pandemic I think that's how people have sort of found themselves and 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 and, and you know it, frankly in 2020 2021 it's on both spectrums it's it's sort of you know in these you know shooting games and first person shooters and and the like but on the other end it's Animal Crossing yes. um, which had its sort of moment in, in 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 the sun but no I mean I think about things that I that I that I love um, a lot of them are are coming from from games yeah i mean i love movies you know i i still love movies but i like things generally speaking that create the world and have you know can continue and can grow and so forth and there's no doubt that's i think gaming is the most is the most fertile um form of media for, for that i mean do you you know uh, i mean do you have a you know uh, is there one particular sort of gaming moment that 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 jumps out to you as being you know something that 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 you kind of was i don't know emotional or you know felt sort of special it's really interesting you say about the water cooler and when when i was about 11 um at my school and with my friends the the absolute water cooler was the teenage mutant ninja turtles it was the thing and i think partly and we're talking about about sort of adaptations of franchises across media um there was the TV show, which arrived in New Zealand very late, several years after, after it, it had been in the States. But there was the TV show. There was an actually good Nintendo game. And there was a really good arcade game. And there was a really funky set of collectible cards that you could get, get with the bubblegum packs. And so we would absolutely devour the Ninja Turtles on the TV. But more importantly, I had a friend who had a Nintendo. I didn't have a Nintendo. He was right across the road. And we spent several months at one point rushing over there after school every day to try and play our way through the Nintendo version of Turtles. And we strategized about it. We planned it. There was this wonderful thing where, of course, there were no saved games on most of those old Nintendo games. So you had to get all through the thing in one shot. And his Nintendo, if you played it straight for more than about three and a half hours, it would overheat and shut down. <laughs> yeah. You see, th these are the kinds of things, a pain, <laughs> a pain that, that, that you know, people don't, no one knows. don't yeah. appreciate. And so you've got this three and a half hour window. It takes about four hours to finish Turtles. So you can see the challenge that we had frequently. But this is that thing of um, there's, there's a world, there's a city, there's these characters. But there's also, um, it was almost couch co-op without the co-op because it's a single player game. But you've got two people both kind of handing the controller back and forth, having this big shared experience. And the kind of building story that you have of this is the story of how we got through that game. Um, that sort of thing to me was just incredibly vivid. And I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I, I think it was. Um, one of the big sort of aspects around release windows was because New Zealand was so out of joint with the US, you'd have these gigantic weird gaps where you would hear about something, especially turtles. And then a year and a half later, that would show up. And so you had this weird thing of there was there was there was this complete disconnect from the media and the advertising to what you actually had. And I think in in Britain um, there was a weird censorship thing with the Ninja Turtles. They were hero turtles. Right, that's that's correct. They were called the Teenage Mutant Hero <laughs> Turtles. So they re-recorded the the song and everything. And I think you know there was there were certain elements that were that were taken out. But but no, I mean it, spot on. I mean there's so many things that I could say about the Turtles. I, I and that game. I think it's sort of it's fascinating. Um, you know that was kind of I think probably the fourth 
and final sort of you know kids thing that I really got into right in order it would be Masters of the Universe, Transformers, nice. Thundercats, and and uh, and and Ninja Turtles, and um, it was really interesting because it came on the TV. It became, as I recall, like a real sensation, but there was no there was you couldn't buy anything. You yeah. know, so it's it's yeah. there were there were no licensed products, and I remember being five or six years old, and it took a long time for those those toys to, uh, to come over, and it's it's almost incomprehensible now. I mean, I know that you know certain things are still harder possibly to get in certain parts of the, of the world, but there is this sort of uniformity to media, and of course, you know now it's increasingly important that, you know, media can be consumed, uh, globally, and you know works in all territories and, and so forth. Um, as far as that game goes, I mean, I likewise did not have, did not have um, uh, a, a Nintendo Entertainment System, but I was very familiar with the game. I played it quite a lot. It was, you know, my, my, my best best friend had it, and it was brutally hard. It was a very for the famous game. I feel like most people, if you had an NES, you had you had, you had Turtles, um, and and just really difficult, a slightly different sort of aesthetic and, and, and characters, uh, I think, possibly to the sort of the series. But the interesting thing is, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of this, uh, there was a, a PC port of it, and in the PC version, it's actually impossible to win, because they... And that's the thing, it's like, that's the other piece to this, is that, you know, the, the, this is the other... This is an in in era, and you talked earlier about Street Fighter, where it was the primacy of the arcade. Like the arcade technologically yes. was so far, you know, it was so far ahead of home consoles. And so, you know, you would get something and it would be, I mean, I remember Street Fighter 2 actually, I should say the first platform I, I had Street Fighter on wasn't Super Nintendo, it was, it was on Atari ST. But Atari ST had a joystick with one button. So <laughs> that really says it all. I think it moved at about eight frames per second at the best of times. So it was, it was sort of very weak. But but yeah, I mean, a lot of memories. The, the, the arcade game, I think, was sort of, that was kind of like my, you know, what's the word? Like, you know, golden goose or something. I mean, that thing was just incredible um, at, at the time. And the notion of having sort of four players and, and really just in very, very strong sort of depictions of all of those characters you, you'd seen you'd seen on the screen um and then you know one of my big memories i mean i was i think i said in the in the notes is i remember uh, you know it's one of these things i we had some american visitors to the house and it was kind of you know you, now you'll never guess what this is and like this vhs got put into the into the tape um machine and we started watching it and i remember this 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 um about probably 10 or 15 minutes in having this realization that what it was was the live action Ninja Turtles, ah, awesome. which had which had not yet been released in the in the UK, and it could have been a pirate copy. It could have been. It could, frankly, have already been on HBO or the equivalent in the states by the time it even came out. Uh, you know, in the in the UK. But I was I just overjoyed, and I think actually, to be honest, I wasn't even aware there was a live action movie. Yeah. Until that yeah. was until that was put into the into the into the video recorder. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, very, very different, and it, and it's, it, it is interesting because to see how a lot of those kinds of properties from that era, I would say, you know, the late '70s through maybe the early '90s, have become evergreen in 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 a, in a way. Ninja Turtles being one, I don't think it will ever hit that peak that it was, you know, what about 1988, but it keeps coming back in an, in one form or another and being reinvented for another. Uh, for another generation, um, you know, obviously, 
you know, Star Wars is probably the the most the most successful example uh, of of that. But there's something about I think the the things that, that the media that you consume at that at that age um, that sort of ingrains in you from it from you know in a, in a certain way, and that's why sort of you know that informs to some extent uh, my work because you know a lot of what I do professionally is in the right space. So it's acquiring things, books, graphic novels, um, podcasts, articles, video games to adapt to film and, uh, and television. And I think that's what everybody's looking for. It's something that you can create a world out of uh, and in success sort of build uh, build upon. And, you know, I think we, we can see and we can see the shifting sands a little bit with something like uh, like The Witcher, you know, which I think was a, you know, as far as TV shows, I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's, I think it's imperfect, um, but it's certainly, a, it feels aesthetically very similar to the, to the game. And obviously Witcher 3 was a huge, uh, huge, huge game and very synergistic. I think that, you know, the, the, the TV show increased sales of the game, which in turn probably increased, you know, the prominence of the show, but, you know, they're spitting that out now into an animated series and I think a prequel or something else as well. Um, Amazon has Lord of the Rings everyone's looking for those for those kinds of kinds of worlds um and and it, and it is it, it to go back i mean and we should cite if you haven't if you're in the audience you know if you're listening to this and you haven't read it there's there's, there's a um a sort of an industry um consultants and commentators very very smart called matthew ball and he wrote an article essentially talking about the value that is in these kinds of properties that is that that, that people really truly love and how important it is that each um each sort of entry in those in those franchises in those worlds is is really thoughtful, and 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 really p- does justice to the um, to the property. Um, it's it's really it's key because that's that's really where a lot of the value is. I think in in, in media companies. That's really interesting. And and in general, is is there a a, a line or a, or a kind of instinctive test you can? have when you're when you're looking at something a starting point a graphic novel a game a movie whatever is there a difference between things that are perhaps very well executed stories in their own right versus things that do that but also open up the possibilities of a world can can you get a sense of that in your work or is there no real difference there well it it, it, it's interesting because obviously you know to some extent well to a great extent to a huge extent to a total extent the the actual you know the actual creative is way above my my pay grade you know sure. i mean i'm 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 just a lawyer but you know my work does have to support that insofar as um it informs the the the, the um the rights deal making and so it is something that we that we look at if we're acquiring a novel or a podcast or something like that and it's a finite story then perhaps we're not going to worry about sequels and so forth to the to the same to the same extent. And there's look, there is clearly a kind of a uh, a market for really well done limited series. It's something that's kind of exploded over the last you know three to five uh, years. We've all seen some some phenomenal um, uh, limited series. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, as far as graphic novels, as far as games, um, you. It, it's something we really think about in terms of these sort of opportunities to expand. And, you know, generally speaking, I want to, if I can, I want to get a sense of actually looking at, look at the material a little bit 
and, and sort of you know see and think through what could the, what the possibilities could could be and you know in terms of what you're looking at well you know is there a world is there a you know is there a chronology right in terms of things that happened before the story things that happened after the after the main main story which could obviously lead to expansions it's what um, you know, Game of Thrones, they're going to try to do with the first spin-off as, as, essentially as a, as a prequel set back in time. Star Wars clearly is expanding temporally um, increasingly. Um, you know, and then is it, is it something that's anchored by a single character? Or is it something that sort of has a, a, a you know, a cast of, of diverse uh, characters that can support these, these sorts of things? And, you know, look, it, often in the deal-making it can in th can potentially get very complicated in terms of you know if it's a if it's like a detective series and then there's a character that appears in in one novel but then is, has their own series and so this is where the, the work really really gets interesting um but i would say my job is to ask the question is to look at it to think about it and to ask the question and and sort of talk to the creatives and you know if in doubt try to um you know try to uh, protect us for those kinds of possibilities uh, with that said creators quite rightly want to make sure that they're protected sure. so that if they you know originate something and it and it becomes a, 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 a franchise um you know they can sort of participate um in it and look the, the truth is here's the thing i could not tell you how many deals i do in a year most of those things never get made yes uh, right so, so that's sort of the first hurdle, and then the, the the notion of actually making something that's that's so well done and so well executed and so successful that it becomes that lightning in a bottle that goes on to other things. Um, it's it's a relatively rare thing, but my job is to try my very best to position the clients for that kind of possibility. Should should that that thing happen, because. Uh, that's when my work will get the most scrutiny, probably, <laughs> in success. It's really interesting you say, having having been sort of on a different side of that fence, if if you're a creator building things, um, especially I think if you're if if they're not instantiated in something like a book, if you're essentially creating pure IP, which is often things like script concepts or. Um, by far the most common thing you have as a professional creator is you have a whole load of little orphan babies that are locked into essentially small option agreements where somebody has expressed an interest and given you some money on the idea that they might try and make it. But the vast majority of these things, as you say, they never get actually made. So at any one point you have all these kind of little possibilities out there in the ether, but it's, it's not as though when you first sell your big thing that then it's going to be on Amazon next year and it's going to be this giant thing. Like much more often you have this really weird tension where you have to put heart and soul and love into building these things. And then you have to send them off in their little carriages. And then you have to somehow accept that the most likely outcome for any individual thing is it's not going to go anywhere. And, and eventually it might come back. You might own it again. You might try and do something else, but there's this kind of weird creative cycle um, the, the headlines, like, like the wonderful woman who, who wrote Shadow and Bone, and in the, in the tiny space of nine years later, it becomes a Netflix show. Um, even, even that is, is a massive and very, very unusual success. And so, um, as you say, but, but then the reverse, which I have experienced, is um, people then sometimes, I think, get into a mode of almost planning for failure 
where you've kind of locked off all the options on the ways that this little three-year deal will be properly structured. And then in the very rare things where it becomes a giant success, sometimes there's a sense that no one has actually really planned for the success. And all of the insane complications that go from there have not been thought out properly. And that, I guess, as you say, is probably where your work really kicks in. It's really, um, you know, I would say that it's most challenging for 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 rights holder because, yes, it's absolutely the case. Um, things can be... I mean, I've certainly dealt with things that have been optioned many times. Um, and, you know, as to whether something is made, I mean, there are so many factors. Is there, you know, doesn't an, uh, an actor happen to, to take an interest in, in the material at that, uh, that time? Is there something else in the market that is a bit like it? That can be a bad thing if it's too like it, or it can be a really good thing because uh, that's how this industry works. Uh, something is successful and everybody just wants to do something just just like it it can be about an executive's individual preference an executive joins a company or departs a company at a particular time there are so many things that's largely totally beyond your control as the person who sort of originated it um which makes it it, it, it's hard because at the end of the day if you think about the things that are are contingent right the things that that are sort of in success you know things that you're going going to get as a creator credit back end which is you know one of the things that i think the layperson has probably the least understand and frankly a lot of people in the industry don't really understand the mechanics of how back ends work and they're changing uh, in the in sort of the, the platform svod era um and then and then derivatives certainly you know and these are things that it's the same amount of work essentially for me doing a rights deal for a very very small property versus a, a large property it doesn't sort of perfectly scale and I, and i and, and we still have to do the job of protecting you for something that in, in all likelihood probably will not go go anywhere but if you know it has to be done because let, if they exercise the option and they only make a pilot i want it to come back to you i want it to revert yeah under reasonable conditions if they are, have you know if they are successful i want to make sure that you're paid i want to make sure that um that you you know, re- retain some reasonable and customary participation on these kinds of derivatives and most of all for as, as a representative i want you to to i want you to understand where those pieces lie because the worst thing for me would be to have you say to, you know a, a call and say hey i i see that there's a podcast i didn't know they were doing a, a podcast what you know or, or i didn't know i'd give them gave them those rights and so that you know there's a lot of of sort of translation and communication involved in uh, in my job and, and making sure that you know some the, the clients understand uh the potential upside and understand the risk and understand sort of the trade-offs because you know deals are, are seldom um are seldom perfect but you know i i i really want you know always want to try to make sure that in success the client is is, is fairly is fairly sort of re- re- rewarded um but yeah it's, it's pretty amazing i mean i i think about something like i worked on um uh, property based on a graphic novel uh, lock and key yeah um, nice but but that's a you know that's a, and i was involved in like the last sort of couple of iterations um of of that on sort of a legal you know ba side of things but that i think had been optioned a whole bunch of times for, for motion picture then it was a fox pilot didn't proceed it was a hulu pilot and then finally you know netflix cracked it and and, and great but i mean 
that was over a decade, and it's it's by no means sort of the longest um, example. I mean, we could you know Uncharted, right, in the video game space. I mean, that 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 thing I think took about ten or fifteen years to make it to the screen. That's really interesting, and 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 just that 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 rhythm. Um, it's really interesting that you mentioned lock and key. I I was a huge fan of of the graphic novels, and just seeing it kind of nearly, but no, nearly, but no, even even in the press, just kind of go through on the on the on this mad saga. Um, one thing that strikes me, and 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 it's really interesting that we're talking about games and we're talking about longer time spans. Um, I think we've both been playing the latest Resident Evil game. And Resident Evil's been around, what, 25 years? And has morphed into this very strange beast with many limbs and many heads and all these sort of things. How does something like Resident Evil, like, like aside from just literally the name Resident Evil, when we're talking about coherent IP and brands and making things that people love, Resident Evil to me is a really good example of something that has evolved a lot over 25 years. What is Resident Evil? What is the locus that people come back to? Yes, it's really interesting, and I would, you know, I would say at this juncture, um, I actually uh, crowdfunded and, and got a copy and read a book that came out about, I think, about six weeks ago called Itchy, Tasty: The History of Resident Evil, which which talks about the genesis of, the, of that franchise up to Resident Evil Four, and it is it is fascinating um, because it it started as a sort of a haunted house zombie. You know, thing that very much is sort of a pastiche of, of sort of American, um, uh, you know, action horror uh, movies. You know, the, the the dialogue and the full motion video in the original, uh, you know, Resident Evil for PlayStation One is, is 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 pretty incredible. And if you read the book, it tells you about like, you know, they didn't have really, you know, the, necessarily the resources for proper script writers or translators or whatever else. And so the actors were kind of like, nobody would say this, but you know, they're they're reading the lines. And it's, but it's it's marvelous. And then it sort of, it, it, you know, has metamorphosized and sort of it's had it's swung back and forth. Resident Evil 4 is, for some people, considered the height of that series. It's absolutely marvelous. I mean, to give you one anecdote, I, I, I when I was in college, I lived in, you know, a small um, dorm room uh, with a roommate. And what the practice was in order to make some more room is that you would build lofted beds so you would sleep up in, in a lofted bed and therefore you could have a lot of common area and you know a couch and so forth um and i remember playing getting resident evil 4 on on the gamecube and bringing it home and, and getting in that first sort of village section and i remember my room like the two or three people watching me play it and i remember my roommate i got um uh, the chainsaw guy came out and and decapitated me and my roommate got so shocked he jumped and banged his head on the lofted uh, the lofted <laughs> bed and I'll, and I'll sort of i'll never forget that um but that sort of you know was was that and then of course the the, the cue i think they took from that was oh people want action so they went you know sort of more in that direction to resident evil 6 um which m most people consider to be the the sort of the nadir of the of the series um, insofar as trying to do too much and too, leading too much into action and so forth, um, and then you know I think I think Resident Evil Seven was a, was a pretty amazing uh, return to form alongside the Resident Evil Two uh, remake as well. Um, uh, you know I mean I, I look I I love Resident Evil. What is it? I don't know. And I think that that's the thing. You know it, it's one of the but I think that everybody that's part of the the sort of the love of it is you know we talk about these things about creating a story world and the franchise and the universe and having clear and coherent 
um, uh, you know, chronologies and story rules and, and, and internal logic and so forth. And Resident Evil doesn't really make any sense at this point in time. <laughs> it sort of has this, this, you know, and like things get retconned every single game, but because you've kind of come to that, that, that expectation, you know, it's, um, pe- people appreciate it for, for that. And I think with the last two games and, and you know, with, with Village, they've sort of swung back to this happy medium of, you know of of sort of action and exploration and definitely horror elements there are parts of village that are really quite you know tense and quite scary um but not as but not as as pure sort of horror as something like you know pt or visage which is just i can only play that game in about 10 minute bursts honestly it's so it's so terrifying it's like it's like my nightmare um and yeah, but so what? So for me, one what's really interesting, I think, about Resident Evil is, I was I never really was had a lot of appeal in, in terms of watching the, the prior movies because sure. it seemed like they kind of took the the basic premise and the title as a jumping off point and really didn't have anything to do with. And so I think that the interesting thing is what they do from you know where they go from here because there's going to be a, there's a new movie which is going to be a reboot retelling I believe of the first game, or or maybe one and two. Uh, and then there is um, this is new set series, the prequel series. I think on 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 on. Well, I think there's a prequel live action. There might be an animated as well coming on Netflix. I mean, I think there's a lot of media, um, and I, I, it's going to be really interesting to sort of see how how those fit to, to together. But yeah, I mean, look, the the plot, of the last one, doesn't really make a huge amount of of, of sense. But that's okay because it was great, and and you know, you, you got your hands cut off. Yeah. Every five minutes <laughs> and there's a sense at least i think um um even looking at it from a writing side um plot especially often gets strongly overrated because for almost all genres of entertainment if they are a genre you're, you're fundamentally signing up for some kind of feeling and some kind of experience and 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 plot as such might be one of the strands of mechanics by which that's executed but like, like the only thing that I can really say about Resident Evil, I think consistently, is one way or another, I'm signing up for some kind of um, horror experience. And then it kind of, as you say, goes outwards from there. Um, and even with horror itself, it's interesting that, 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 that horror as a genre, for a very long time, people who fall in love with horror tend to fall in love with it very deeply. And they tend to excuse an awful lot of really janky <laughs> shit because that's not what they're there for. Or... Or, or it really is, and they love it. Um, yeah, I would it... never, you know, like necessarily volunteer this to somebody I just <laughs> met. But hey, let's do this for the for the for the, you know all of these the people listening to this that I haven't met. Uh, one of my favorite film franchises, I don't know, I think this is fine. It is Final Destination. Yes, I love right. Final yes. Destination. Uh, but it's but it's definitely janky in a lot of ways. But like, you know, but I I think you know the appeal of, of Resident Evil or, or certain of the best the best sort of parts and, and, and you know the best horror. It's 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 to me it's a lot of the mystery element. It's not knowing what's going to happen, um, and that's it. I mean, you're basically thrown into this village. You know, if you haven't spoiled yourself, and you don't know what's going to happen. You're aware yeah. there's going to be a tall lady at one point in time. Uh, and that's really, and that's really it. And 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 you're absolutely right. It's it's it, it's an experience. And the th- what's really interesting about gaming, I think, is 
you can choose to engage with the plot as much or as little as you actually want. Yeah. In nice. theory, you could play through Resident Evil Village, you could skip every cutscene, um, and you could just go through. On the other hand, you could go and you could explore every nook and cranny, you could read all of the, the various notes, because a lot of the kind of the context of the story and the backstory of the characters is, is, is in there. Uh, and you could kind of, you know, piece together and like, you know, a, 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 and I think to some extent, this is the the good thing about the the sort of the internet in, insofar as, gaming le gaming lends itself, and not to say that you know film and television don't, because I think you think about things like Marvel Universe, right, and like the theories and talking about each episode of i mean I, that was one of my real highlights of the last six months was with wandavision and nice uh, and, yeah. and, and falcon and, and winter soldier was you know every week going and i'd watch the episode and then and then read about it and see what people think uh, especially with with wandavision which i thought was just surpassed my expectation i thought it was fantastic but they kind of lend itself as like these you can put these little cr breadcrumbs in and then the fans will go and and, and talk to each other um uh, about it and you know, I think Resident Evil is, you know, is 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 really, you know, it 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 really was a great experience. I love that 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 game. I played through seven just be beforehand, and that was, you know, it was great to kind of have that continuity. I'm actually at the moment going through and replaying um, The Last of Us Part Two. Ah, oh, beautiful. And I mean, I you know, I, I don't really want to get too much into all of the meta, you know, context around that game, but what's striking to me in playing it is it, it, it is just extraordinary the world building in that in that game is is just incredible um and sort of the the, the attention to, to detail um obviously you know it was not necessarily what people um you know expected but i think that that that's at its best that's what gaming can do is it can put you into a yeah. world and of course that's the great promise down the road of the metaverse and and everything else was is that sort of heightened level of of, of immersion um but yeah no i, I would recommend uh, i would definitely recommend resident uh resident evil if you haven't played it it's great absolutely and 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 just my impression of resident evil village the new one so far um resident evil 7 biohazard which was a huge success and is a very good game the the one challenge is that it's quite unrelenting. Um, there's a there's a sense of anxiety and dread that goes through the whole thing constantly and never lets up. But Village, um, um, so far, and this seems to be being borne out by other people's experiences, it's much more accessible in that for a large chunk of the game, as far as I can see, you're, you're really just wandering around these fantastical environments and, as you say, exploring and finding the story if you want it and doing things. And then there's moments and sequences of quite insane horror but you're not constantly under the gun. You're not constantly kind of, the um, the game really isn't sitting on your chest the whole time in the way that some more intense horror experiences can, which I think is really awesome. Um, it's interesting you say, and, and this feels like it ties back to what we were saying earlier. Um, from my perspective, I observe this kind of fundamental shift from storytelling, where, where fundamentally the, the creator or the creative team of something delivers you an experience and you're kind of stuck with it that shift from storytelling to story making and one thing that I, I i suspect is still a mindset shift among parts of the entertainment industry is i think younger people today i don't think they want to be told stories as much i think the core thing that i see is people's idea of entertainment is they go and 
basically create an experience with their friends that they enjoy. And that might be guided by an environment, by Minecraft, by something else. But there is a storytelling to story making shift that I don't think all parts of entertainment have caught up with. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I, look, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, look, there's there's been this idealized notion for probably a hundred years, you know, about the idea of like the auteur um, in yeah. cinema and, 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 and somebody who's going to sort of create this. And look, I, I still very much enjoy a well-crafted sort of linear uh, narrative in a well-told story. You know, I think it's it, it's it's fantastic. Um, the thing about this is, you know, at, uh, at my age, I've consumed so much media and so much storytelling that it's sort of hard to, it you know, and, I, and then look, good storytelling isn't just about surprise, but I've seen a lot of these kinds of these kinds of things. Like I'm watching Mayor of, of uh, Mayor of Easttown at the moment, um, which I think is wonderful. Like I think it's fabulous. Like the the plot, the you know the the acting and everything else. But there's a reason that SNL is able to parody that because it, it does have a lot of those kinds of tropes, right? Um, and it, you know it's 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 fabulous. Um, but it's there's no doubt that younger generations are moving more online and it's and it's and i think you're right i think it would be a it would be naive to think okay they're just moving to watching things on a screen no it's a, it's a fundamentally different type of experience it's participatory and it's shared sort of creation and i would say that's to some extent in certain ways twitch in some ways it's certain to, to some extent that's that's TikTok. um but certainly things like roblox and minecraft and Fortnite, and even to some extent, um, something like Among Us, um, because you're creating, you know, you're sharing it with your friends. You will talk about it afterwards with your friends. You've got the anticipation of, of doing it with your friends. Um, some of these things are then spawning their own sort of forms of, of of experience. You know, I mean, as I understand, I'm not a Roblox person, but as I understand it, people are creating games within Roblox, which is just fascinating because you've got the journey of, of creating it for yourself. Then you've got the journey of other people experiencing and maybe building on it and, 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 and interacting around that. And, you know, it, it's just, it's so fun. It's so incredibly clear to me. People want to engage with their friends around, around things. And, you know, I think that film can do that and television can do that. But gaming can do it to a far, you know, a much heightened, in a much heightened way. And it's only going to, that's only going to increase. And I think what we're going to see is this line between gaming and sort of linear storytelling, sort of blurring, where, yes, there are games, you know, where people go and they play Call of Duty, they go and they play uh, FIFA Madden, whatever. And then there's movies, but then there's something there's something in the middle that is maybe it's participatory, maybe you you know maybe it's sort of partially scripted. Um, I don't know quite what it looks like yet. I think that with you know virtual production and with sort of the assets and, and game engines that we have now, it will be much easier to move from a paradigm where you might literally be interacting and 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 sort of you know doing an interactive experience within this gaming world and then the same assets are used for some kind of passive 
you know more passive type of type of story um as well which of which is going to mean that essentially there are going to be new probably new brands and new you know types of ip created within those kinds of experiences which because they're going to be shared and because they're going to have evolved and because it's going to involve people building on things you know which is happening in roblox i mean i assume you know you build something in roblox and i can go in and, and well that's an that's an ip lawyer's i want to say is it their, their nightmare or is it their dream <laughs> it's it's one of those those things because it does you know and it, all this can, it can be dressed with with licensing and so forth but it, it creates questions about ownership and authorship which are not necessarily the same thing but the sort of adjacent concepts uh, and a different and a different type of thing where i'm not sure you know you think about like a novelist you know and they wrote that thing they they went and they and they and it's mine and now creators i think is it's a different type of creation um and a different type of consumption but it's it's really interesting and that's the way the younger generations are tending i think that's really cool you say it um it's an interesting example that you give with novelists um obviously um because there's been ongoing questions around essentially fan fiction right where someone creates a universe they publish novels and then people want to write and create their own stories in those what what happens with that and i think the older response was just to absolutely quash fan fiction and then you've got everything from that right through to things like the metro universe which is a russian ip where there's an original set of novels written by the main author and then he kind of opened up this world and let anyone write fan fiction and then helped people publish particularly good fan fiction in its own version and there's also games and things spreading off metro as well i that's, don't know so you're so this so this is the series that the most recent one was metro exodus yes there's a whole metro universe huh. that is that that is not necessarily visible to a lot of western audiences because most of the stories are written in languages other than english but there's a whole bunch of metro books the um just for audience the core idea of metro is there's been some kind of cataclysmic war and in moscow everyone retreated into the subways because they are basically fortified bunkers and over time every subway station becomes like its own little fiefdom and and most of the metro stories take place in in this environment but if and that's a it's it's a wonderful bit of world building but it's obviously something that you can also apply to almost any other city in the world so i there are there are things like there is a london version of metro that someone wrote as a book and it was published with the help of the russian author i don't i i I have no idea what the rights around that are but it's a really interesting idea of sort of shared world building yeah look this is interesting and it's really fascinating because you know, I mean, like somebody I, I I'm going to guess is in is in your sort of LinkedIn network or something is is, is Jeff Gomez. Do you know Jeff? Are you yes. aware of his work? I mean, I, Jeff. You know, and I should you know disclaim. I mean, he's a, he, his company is a is a client uh, of our of our firm, and I've known him for for a long time. But you know, Jeff was talking about this 12 years ago, like yeah. like the idea of of building structures whereby you, uh, a creator could originate an IP, could open up that IP to you know, essentially consumers slash creators, and then build a model that allows value to be created. So in, ex- in the instance that you have, presumably, the original, you know, originator of Metro has some participation in this London book, but so does the author of the London piece. Yeah. Um, and I think what, you know, it, it's one of these things, it's so fascinating, because I, you know, I, I, I'm seeing things kind of 
resurface that were like big things that people were very excited about you know nine or ten years ago and then they just sort of you know i think there were some sort of false dawns in certain respects um uh but now seem to be coming back but with a little bit more of a a gaming slash interactive uh thing but that's that's just but you know what's also fascinating is um i have not played them yet but i own all three metro games i got them nice. on i got them on the cheap and on the sale and i'm excited because i understand that you know the, the, the latest one's being remastered uh so i've actually you know i'm a consumer who's been exposed to those games i had no idea about the, the genesis and the authorship of that um and that's it's really really interesting um and look fan fiction i mean there's so much to talk about in this area we could probably have a separate conversation about it because you know it, it, it's i think about um you know uh, things like um God, like, I, I almost said 30 shades of gray has it been is it 50 shades of gray <laughs> sure like like I, like you know i mean it just goes to show you how things how things come in and out of sort of the, the popular culture zeitgeist but that as i understand it was sort of started off as, as twilight fan fiction yes morphed um i think that there have been a number of things um on the platform uh wattpad that have started off as some form yes. of a fan fiction and have kind of evolved and become something else and that's a really interesting platform because um because people can kind of provide comments and notes and help sort of nurture along these authors and now wattpad is a huge uh, generator of of ip i mean the kissing booth is is a you know, a big franchise for Netflix that, you know, there are, there are multiple um, uh, big, you know, things, largely YA that have come off of that platform. And it's it's so fascinating because I did a, a panel with um, the CEO, Alan uh, Lau, it probably, again, it was London Book Fair, uh, not London Book Fair, it was at New York Book Fair, it must have been about, you know, seven or eight years ago, and, and saying, look, Alan, nobody's ever going to read a book on their phone. You're crazy. <laughs> and here I am now. Now I read books on my phone all, all, all of the all the time and having incredible success. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I think that a lot of companies seem to be uh, embracing this this idea that it's not a closed. I mean, there there's still you know exceptions, but it's not a closed uh, shop, and that you know it's best to embrace your audiences. I mean, I I think that you know maybe J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter is an example of where it sort of swung the other way, but you know, to some extent, you could you could say that um, about about Resident Evil Village. I mean, the amount of of sort of fan creation around uh, the Lady Dimitrescu character that probably brought tenfold in terms of the number of eyeballs yeah. in the in the lead up, and you know, Capcom could have gone and wave cease and desist at everybody doing this stuff did they no because they're smart they had you know they partnered with influencers and they did all sorts of things um but it's interesting it's really interesting because there's a little bit of risk with it as well i agree it's and and this is very much your area rather than mine i I remember years ago when um, I think it was especially Microsoft and Blizzard were having to figure out essentially what to do with derivative works around these exact questions. But from a pure business strategy sense, I think you come into an idea that's been talked about for ages um, and and has always been tricky, which is this idea of being an ecosystem player, an ecosystem orchestrator versus just I make my thing and I sell it. Mm -hmm. And the whole point with ecosystems, if, if you're one 
one creator, one company among a whole forest of other people. The whole challenge is, as I think you're saying is, you can't control it all. You have to let go of control and you have to rely a lot more on influence. You influence an ecosystem, you don't run an ecosystem. And I, and and in terms of classical business strategy, um, obviously people are part of supply chains all the time and that's just what they have to do. But in terms of creative content, I think that there's, there's probably a whole horizon of people having to figure out how to do this. And you obviously have leaders like Valve who did a lot of economic experience. Um, um, so, sorry, Valve Software who make Half-Life and a bunch of other things did a whole lot of economic experiments starting about 15 years ago that have flowed through to a lot of other things here. And for a lot of the time, to some extent, they were content to try and create overall value within an ecosystem and then essentially clip the ticket on that value rather than own it all. But there's a lot, there's a big, a, a big learning process, it feels to me, like where we have to get to what does that look like for everyone else? Oh, Ecosystems huge. are hard. And, and, you know, the thing is, by default, um, uh, you know, copyright and intellectual property law is not necessarily compatible you know, with this, because one of the things um, that sort of the hallmarks of being a, you know, a trademark or a copyright owner is, is you have the right, but also to some extent the obligation to protect those, uh, those, those rights. And so, you know, I remember, you know, I've, I've done deals where, you know, people have wanted to do things like, you know, uh, expressly state that fans can create merchandise based on and and it's hard because I remember in one particular deal I said, no, we can't we can't put this in the contract because it's going to it potentially jeopardizes the rights that we're we're getting you know the exclusive rights we're getting in terms of the trademarks and so forth. Let's just not say it and then just not go after them if yeah, they, sure. if, they, if they they do it and make it a business decision at at the time. Um, you know, so much earlier in my career I worked with. Um, yeah, on behalf of an author of a very big uh, YA uh, series, and we had, you know, we had basically two two versions of letters when people would ask to do things. Uh, one was the kind of the definitely don't do this, and one was like the nice version, um, because you don't want to so that you don't want to alienate your 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 fans. Um, but yeah, it's it, there's no doubt that that's that is what people are trying to do now is create because if you can if you can own the ecosystem, okay. And then you can empower people to create things within that ecosystem, be there, be, it could be skins or virtual items or whatever else. You, you don't have to take everything. You just have yeah. to take a little bit of everything and you will make more money than, than any movie, you know, that, that gets released. Because if you can build the user base uh, enough, but it does require some level of, of, of sort of, um, uh, of nuancing and, and, and complexity because it sort of, it doesn't, you know, all of these things don't, don't, you know, preempt sort of copyright law in the same way as, you know, if you create an, an NFT of, of something, right, uh, and you sell that, well, you know, if it's a piece of art that I've illustrated, or if it's a, a, a you know, a piece of IP owned by, by Sony, you know, you don't necessarily have the right to, to do that. You probably don't, in fact. So it's 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 really really it's 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 really interesting, and I think it's going to be a lot of, of, of challenges. And, and in terms of sort of the, we have all of the sort of the, the the concepts in place, but how they're actually applied, is is going to be a real a real challenge, I think, nice. for companies. That's really interesting. And and so if you, um, if we jump forward five ten years, and you 
are, are prepared to make big statements about the future. Um, what does this potentially look like? What What do you think someone in your position will be doing five to ten years from now? What's the thing that is is potentially emerging out of this current period? That's a that's a large, crazy question, but it's it's an interesting one, I think. Well, so we're saying five years from now. So, so just to be clear, I'm appearing on this podcast now. I'm going to grant you a license for my appearance of, uh, <laughs> of four years and 364 <laughs> days so that I can, so no one can listen to it five years from now and see how wrong I, I, I was. I mean, in terms of general industry trends, and, and you know, I, I think that there's probably been a little bit of a setback on this this week. I, I do think that the, the, the in entertainment generally, we're going to see an increasing move to, to digital and direct to consumer. That's that's sort of my my feeling. I think that we're going to see more and more motion pictures and TV shows based on on games, just because I think it's the strongest IP and has the strongest established sort of fan base. In terms of sort of what uh, this sort of world of, of the metaverse looks like, I think that what's going to happen is, um, as I say, I can see a world certainly where more and more entertainment content both interactive and linear is created or and slash or distributed within these platforms um, sometimes using actual assets from a gaming en- uh, you know engine or virtual production or something like uh, like that and I think that what's going to happen to some extent is <sighs> I'm hesitant to say but I could see some parallels potentially in the next 10 years to what we saw with sort of the emergence of Netflix insofar as the what we you know what happened with with Netflix was of course the Hollywood studios didn't really see what was happening before their eyes uh, and licensed a lot of con- content and then eventually tried to go direct to to consumer I think that what's going to happen here is in terms of, of you know if you if you buy into the notion that there's going to be a metaverse of some kind then the question is who controls the metaverse um you know whose sort of technology backbone is it built on whose you know whose code whose uh auth- authentication and profile and everything right is, is it built upon and i think it's pretty clear that it ain't going to be a motion picture studio or sure. you know it's going to be a gaming company and so what you will see is i think a lot of you know these sort of game uh, the other forms of rights holders and i don't want to say it's necessarily like a faustian pact because i think they just should know what they're getting they're getting into because i think it potentially is very good for them but they'll continue to view these kinds of things uh, in a promotional capacity for their yeah. their movie and so that they will you know they will license rights be it you know promotional or premiere or somebody does a concert inside of something or uh there's a you know this is an exclusive skin or whatever um because they view it as promotional for the movie or the tv show which of course has a knock-on effect of building the content within these worlds and the and the number of users and the stickiness and, and everything else and in essence i think it would be impossible you know very very difficult under the best of circumstances but i think it may and it may already be impossible but they'll get to a point where they'll essentially it'll flip on a dime probably and then and then these companies will be like well hang on a second we you know our our ticket sales for our for our movies you know go down uh year on year and we can't increase the prices necessarily to match that and 
um, you know, we we only we we can only produce so many tent poles a year. So so those sort of traditional forms are perhaps going down, and in essence, the consumer, the young, I'm not. I was going to say young male. No, the the young consumer is essentially forever lost to, to traditional media. Yeah. I mean, they they they're not going. The, linear television, like cable TV, is done for them already. Um, the theater you know and movies we shall see uh maybe there's a possibility in terms of live and experiential thing i think that's an interesting space but the bulk of 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 time for young people is going to be spent in some form of digital app or game it's it's a fait accompli and so what will happen is the power dynamic will 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 live with those with those digital platforms I mean, it's just, and, and they will have so much data as well on their on their users. They'll they'll, they'll know so that then, um, it, you know, when when you know they'll they'll know your preferences. They'll know what kind. You know, you, t- you say like you and I have talked about like enjoying um, you know horror ex- experience. You know, you know because they've seen this. Well, okay, those will be crafted within the the game. Probably around Halloween, we're not. You know, we may well still go to a haunted house. But presumably, in the not too distant future, there is going to be within one of these platforms, uh, you know, a, a, a VR, a next-gen VR experience, and you'll say to me, "Hey, uh, I know, I know that you know on, on Halloween you might be going to the sort of the haunted house, or you're going trick or treating with your kids. But hey, on the 30th of October, why don't we go in at the same time and, and, and do this thing? I hear yeah. it's amazing, and you know, and that will be the thing, and." Um, and there are all sorts of there are all sorts of possibilities sort of within that world, and then of course, beyond that, is you know which is far far outside of my expertise, but is 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 sort of well what happens then when elements of the of the metaverse of this digital world start going disseminating into the physical real world, you know via augmented reality or whatever else because again they know what I'm doing now now you and I are less good looking versions of Tom Cruise in, in Minority Report, right? Where it says, Colin, <laughs> good to see you. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, but again, it's it, it's all about who controls that that consumer relationship. Um, and these game companies are building incredibly sort of loyal, deep affinities right now, every single day. That's fascinating. It's, it's such an amazing vision of, of, of it. I I, I agree, especially that um, a lot of the older entertainment forms, essentially their touch point with their customer happens on a cadence that is quite irregular. Like if, if, if you're putting out films, you, your, your actual customer engagement is a period once every two years, the movie comes out, people see it, you, you actually find out what they really think about it. And you look at the cadence of touch points in digital, it's, as you say, literally constant. I mean, literally every, all, all the time. And at some point, that rhythm just becomes overwhelming because oh. you know so much. Oh, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't compare it. Think of, you know, films, you have to open the movie every time. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, we've made this movie. Now we have to find the audience for it. And, you know, I mean, I look, I think that there's an art to, to, or there was an art, or there is an art to marketing uh, movies. But the other thing was, you know, in the pre-social media uh, era, the, the studio controlled the message, which is no longer uh, the case. But 
you know, I I think you compare that. I mean, it's honestly and look, obviously it, it backfired. But you know, if I can pull up this 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 uh, piece of of merch I have here, can you see that? Ah, uh, beautiful. Yep, Simon is holding up the Cyberpunk 2077 cap that he has. People, people, there were people who were on the Cyberpunk forum for one two three seven years before that game came out <laughs> now it was obviously you know not perhaps what those people uh, expected but imagine if you're in a community for a game I, I don't care what it is you might be playing competitively online every day you're going and playing single player you're playing dlc it could all be re you know updated in real time you're talking about it uh online you may be creating or modding content um it's yeah it's every single it's every single day and when you're you know when you're in one of these 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 online you know experiences and, and games you're there so they announce that you know it's a new season of of you're there they don't have to find you be like okay well our consumer reports suggest that based on the script we're gonna have this movie might appeal to 18 to 35 year old males so <laughs> we should buy some billboards and some tv spots by the baseball game like no like you know who this person is you have you know in a much more intimate uh way and um and yeah it's 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 really you know and, and the, this is the this is the, the the thing that i find sort of fascinating and slightly absurd about the whole thing is we look about nielsen ratings right they've gone down you know year on year uh box office we've already sort of we've we've sort of uh you know spoken about and you know it's, it, there, but there are still all of these things about you know movies and, and and tv and and so forth without necessarily acknowledging that the competition for eyeballs or for ears is just so much fiercer i can i can i have two hours of leisure time now I, yeah i could go watch a movie but i can watch tv but i can i can read a book i can listen to a podcast i can listen to to music i can go on um, uh, you know, Snapchat or TikTok or something like that. I can play a, a game, um, and so that it's all competing for the same amount of, of, of time. And I think that it's going to be really hard to to compete with something that's so pervasive and persistent in somebody's in somebody's life. You know, uh, 